Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. All right. Thank you so much for checking us out. You're tuned into the Unloose the Goose podcast with the Goose Group where weekly we're going to be bringing you all sorts of insights and tips and tactics and laughs all about agorism and how you can live a, a free life. And we got a wonderful group here joining us today. we got the one, the only Jack Spierko, Nicole Sauce, Ben Armani, Xavier Hawk, and Pete Quinones. And today the topic, which is a topic that was uh, brought to us by some of the listeners and viewers of the previous podcast is all about community and building community and how community can help us to be more free. And we're going to share some of our personal stories and insights and tips on how you can find more freedom and safety and security and camaraderie through community as well. Uh, before we get started, I want to invite you to check out UnlooseTheGoose.com. UnlooseTheGoose.com. I still smile when saying that name. It's just a great, fun name, and we're a, a wacky gaggle of geese. <laughs> um, so UnlooseTheGoose.com, and I want to invite you to sign up for our email newsletter letter where you'll get uh, updates whenever we have new podcasts, and you can find all the previous episodes there. There's also a video, and you can subscribe to us on all of the various, most if not all of the various podcast little subscribers. So Community is something that's very important to us. Unfortunately, community and social organization in general, what most people are used to is coercive government. And I think we could all agree that that's probably one of the single, if not the single most, uh, the biggest inhibitor of human flourishing and, and human growth. And it just like Ernest Hancock says, there's two types of people in this world, those that want to be left alone and those that just won't leave you alone. And unfortunately, again, we got that government that's just all up in our business. But thankfully, um, there's a very rich history in America and all across the world, really, of intentional community, micro communities, uh, people experimenting with alternative forms of social organization. And so that's some of the stuff that we want to share today. We're going to do a fluid conversation today, so we hope that you'll get a lot out of it. And I think most importantly, we hope you'll be inspired to go experiment with some alternative forms of community yourself. So um, I've been a huge advocate for building these alternatives for quite some time. I was involved in quite a lot of political activism for a while, and it just felt like banging my head against the wall, not actually advancing freedom. And so one of the things that we started doing was encouraging people to participate in small groups, small affinity groups, mutual aid groups. And that's where we came up with this Freedom Cells idea. We'll, we'll talk about more about it later, but I want to encourage people to check out freedomcells.org and, and participate there. But uh, maybe we'll start off by people on the group here sharing uh, what their sense of community is like. I know Vin has a expat crypto community down where he's staying. Jack's built a community around the podcast, the survival podcast. So who wants to uh, share some of their insights and maybe some ex community that they've experienced, how it's enhanced their lives? I mean, I can I can start out, start out I guess, uh, and maybe I can get it in before the wind really picks up. We're in the rainy season here in Saipan, so if you guys see it start to dump on me, the people who are watching, uh, you'll know exactly what's going on if it just starts to get dark and then there's there's rain. Um, <laughs> the 
I, I've been, you know, in our last episode, it really occurred to me, and I mentioned it on that episode, that the, the solution is community. But I think the solution is always community. And the difficult part of this moment that we're in is how do we, and maybe this is to start out framing it as I've been thinking about this topic, I think that the real, one of the real issues that we have right now is the landscape that we're in is quite, uh, if, if we're honest with ourselves, this is unprecedented, certainly in our lifetimes, and maybe in terms of the modern history that we have, in terms of what's happening in, with the global culture. Um, so, you know, one, our level of interconnectedness is clearly unprecedented. I think uh, most of us here are old enough to remember a time without the internet. Um, so that's, but my children, those of us who have children, our children can't really say that and won't be able to say that. To them, the world has, will always be a totally interconnected place, which means there will always be a global culture. And right now our global culture is clearly going through a, a crisis that is, is unprecedented. And the point of community, you know, the point of culture is to help a group of humans to survive and thrive within a particular environment. And whether that environment is a geographical environment, whether that environment is a social environment because you've created some sort of a subculture to, to protect your uh, religion or to protect your wealth or your property or, or your person, uh, a mutual aid society within another culture, in order for that culture to work, and certainly for it to be intentional in any way, you've got to have some grasp on the environment. And right now, I think the biggest problem is trying to get a grasp on that environment, trying to get a grasp on what is the social environment in which we are going to plant these communities, and what are the seeds that we need to plant. So, you know, I came here to Saipan, part of a very, very small, like nascent community that's quite open in terms of what we're doing, but we're geared around cryptocurrency. So at least we have some totem to, to, to sort of circle around, but the rest of it is really open. You know, we're libertarians, free marketeers for the most part, but not everybody. But we're still struggling with, as we try to put our roots down here, constantly coming back to the old strategies that we've had. Um, a lot of us, several of us have lived in New Hampshire, been part of Free State Project or other, you know, sort of intentional liberty communities. And as we, we are constantly finding ourselves having to stop because these tactics are not going, not all of these tactics that we have thought would work are going to work out into the future. Um, and we're, we're really seeing that with a lot of the stuff that's happening in terms of, you know, the, the breakdown of order in many places, the breakdown of rule of law. And so, you know, one of the things that I would like to, to hear from people today and, and that I would like to explore is how do we get a grasp? And, and it, maybe we can't, but how do we get a grasp on what the social environment is right now such that we can even say, okay, what is the nature of the soil, the, metaphorically, the, the social soil? What is the nature of the water? What is the nature of the sunlight so that we can actually pick which seeds we're going to start planting in which places for which communities to, to extend the metaphor out that way? 
Because um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, and it's something that I'm struggling uh, with on a daily basis as I watch this thing unfold. But I just don't feel what I what I feel to my core is that the old organizational structures and the old ways that we've approached this as liberty minded people, libertarians, anarchists, whatever you want to call it, I don't think are going to be effective and might actually be counterproductive. So like to, to frame it in that way to start out, that's really what, what I would like to know is how do we even start to assess that environment? So do we even need to assess that environment? That's that's my question, because when I think about community and developing communities that support each other, the ones I see that are most successful don't have a lot of top-down organization. And you cited a couple where I think part of where they've fallen apart is there are so many different perspectives in them, right? And there's lots of fighting, and there's lots of attempts to control the fighting, rather than attempts to navigate ways to have conversations with each other and to understand that like I can be friends with Vin and not agree with Vin on everything. And we can like violently disagree about things and still be a community and act together. If we have some shared principles and a high level of trust. So, I mean, I wasn't, I raised my hand to talk, but I wasn't thinking about responding to that, but if we're going to form communities like that, to what purpose are we forming the communities? Is it to support overall flourishing? Is it to uh, preserve knowledge and understanding? What is the purpose? Uh, Jack here, let me kind of chime in on that, because I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, Vin actually hit it in the beginning of his his stuff and for everybody else when you speak at least for the first couple times say who you are because we got a couple of comments on that like some people don't know all of us anyway um so when vin was talking there right he was like well you know we don't really have like this huge thing that binds us all together but it kind of sort of coalesces around a sort of libertarian thing and a sort of cryptocurrency thing right so i know right away if i have a community that has some binding around cryptocurrency there's going to be a lot of synergy and that synergy results in human self-organizing and getting things done and doing the things that they do and that's a lot of what nicole's been able to do up in the holler right is by having people that are there it doesn't really matter if they all agree on exactly what they're trying to accomplish in the world, it, agree, it matters that they all agree on what they're trying to accomplish in their own lives, which is based on just where they live, right? Just where Nicole lives, anybody out there has a certain bent toward independence. And I've always found like the best groups seem to coalesce around a common ideal, but they're not put together for like we're going to fight the system because we talked about last week, like if you get in into anything and you're like, I'm going to pick a side, I'm going to fight the system, I'm going to fight the man. The way this thing's rolling right now, you get kind of in the gears and you get ground up like grain in a gristmill. And so what we need to be doing is figuring out how do we build as much freedom into our lives. And what, I, what I've always said, and kind of like, so I don't know, what, you should call a group of pigs a sonder. Maybe like we talk about being the gaggle, maybe we also kind of need to be a sonder because I've always said that, the problem with most people is they do get in groups, but then they behave like cattle. They're like a herd. And I can't remember that it was a, it was a Roman emperor that said something to the effect of you can easily move the agitations of the crowd with a few words to where it resembles the beauty of the sea. 
Like, all you have to do is, like, put this little thing in motion. You can watch the crowd respond. And that's because we act like cattle. And if you take a cow and you put a cow on a ranch, you can, if anybody knows what a cattle guard is, it's these pipes that are spaced apart. So if the cow's trying to walk across it, it hurts their feet. And that way you don't have to have a gate and the cowboys can just go in and out in their trucks and the cows don't get out because they'll step in that cattle guard. Once a cow knows what a cattle guard is, you can paint black stripes on cement. They won't test it. They won't test it. Once a cow is trained to an electric fence and they see a wire, they're not going to touch it. They don't go feral. You get a pig, that pig will test the fence, it'll test the wire, it'll test everything every day, and if it gets one chance, it's gone. And so our groups need to kind of be built around this concept that we pick something that we're all gone for, and then the parts that we don't necessarily agree with, let's just focus on our lives. And, I mean, Nicole, would you? I want everybody to talk, but tell us just a little bit about your community of people and kind of how that plays into that. Okay, I'm Nicole Sauce, for those who don't know who I am, and... It happened a lot by accident. I've always been somebody who has been motivational to people. And I thought if a redneck hippie duck farmer could start a podcast, certainly I could. So I started one and people started listening to it. And then they started interacting with me. And I thought, wow, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person trying to build stability into my life by living in a rural setting and coming up against these barriers and trying to figure out how to bust through them. And what happened is I met three or four people who had shared ideals, one of them at your workshop, Jack. And we just became friends. And it start, we all came at the community from an invest-in-the-community standpoint first. So you have to make a deposit before you can take a withdrawal. And we lead, all... Lead with the relationship. Right. And, and the relationships are key. We all understand where the line is be- between... What is my business and what is none of my business? And that's, that's a really important line to in, in a community because I think where you see a lot of breakdowns is somebody wants somebody else to live their life differently than that person is living and it's none of your business. And we don't have people stay who want to get up in other people's business because it's not welcome. And that's the culture of the community. Well, as I've told the story on my podcast, People have thought, well, Tennessee sounds like a cool place, so they started moving here. So now I have two next-door neighbors who came through the podcast and moved here, and we all work almost like a family, but we live in different houses. Like, we share meals. We work on projects at each other's houses. And then statewide and over the state, we have a bigger community that does what we call GSD weekends, get shit done. And, well, if somebody wants to put in a, an aquaponics system, we'll go for a weekend and all do it at one time because many hands make light work. Um, and then, of course, I do have a mystery third neighbor coming in soon. So um, it's it, it's been interesting seeing this happen because what's happened because of my podcast is my house has become part of the hub, but I'm also in the middle of the state. So we will end up at other people's houses, but people drive back and forth all the time and just pull over and they know they can get a cup of coffee here from the holler roast coffee machine. And even if I'm really busy, if you're in the GSD crew, you can just stop by, you know, if I'm busy, I'll work and I'll ignore you. I'll say hi, but yeah. So that community has turned from just getting stuff done to pushing through crisis. My biggest challenge now is how are we going to communicate if all the communication systems go down and some things like that. Cause when we had a tornado this year and had no comms here, nobody knew how to check to see if we were okay. We were fine, but 
they, you know, the tornadoes hit near us and nobody was able to get on social or phones or like the landlines were out. Everything was out. So. Unmute yourself. You're John. muted, John. You're yeah, muted, you muted John. yourself. <laughs> Look at that. Would Unmute you, uh, the goose. <laughs> would you say there's some uh, core values that uh, the members of your group and your community share? And it sounds to me like this was more of a, a spontaneous thing, although you inspired people to move. They were attracted to what it was that you were sharing. But what I've noticed is that even when groups have a shared value, like the Free State Project, for example, yeah. there can still be conflict and stuff. So I'm just curious if you could elaborate on are there shared values that y'all have? Has there been conflict within your group and what's the cohesion like? We've we've had one major event where somebody uh, is no longer in the group. It wasn't a big dramatic thing. It's it just transitioned out because it was not a good fit. And I think that's the worst thing. We have little things where, you know, somebody doesn't agree with somebody. But I think the shared values we have, we have a foundation of encouraging self-reliance. So taking care of ourselves and our families and our community. We have uh, a shared value of trust and doing what you say you're going to do. So we don't have a lot of people saying, I promise this and then not living up to their promise. And I think that's really important. There, and it's partially because of the personalities of people here. There are people who will just come out and say, this is bugging me, this thing that you're doing. And so we address that up front rather than a lot of talking behind the back or talking around the issue. I mean, there are times when it takes a few weeks for somebody to get around to it. But I think just having, and then a lot of us are, well, we're either all anarchists or anarchist leaning, I would say either coming in from the left or the right, everybody sees that, that, you know, that big, big picture shared core value that the top down government approach isn't working, isn't going to work, still hasn't worked no matter how many times they say it will be better next time. So, and I think that helps and we just love to have fun. So it's yeah. important to have that element. What about you, Xavier? You're involved in permaculture a whole lot. Have you found community through permaculture? There's, a, I know there's a lot of intentional communities that are all about permaculture. Yeah, what's interesting is that I have a number of different circles, let's say, a number of different communities, and they all operate on different principles. Like there's one that's very much yoga, you know, and they, they, they garden and they're into herbalism, but their focus is yoga and then well-being and balance and all that. And there's the hardcore gardeners who are really into knowing all of the herbs and everything. And there's so like there's that common totem, like Vin was saying. Um, where there's a common thing that everybody's interested in, a sort of way of having fun that they enjoy together and learn together. Um, none of those communities are actually interrelated in so much that like they don't require one another to survive, let's say, right? Where Nicole is, there's a certain sense of like, we're actually doing things together and the, our livelihood is coming from our collectiveness, you know, like that, that happens in business and it happens in a bunch of different circles. But as Vin brought something up in the very beginning that, that I thought was pretty poignant. And it was, you know, how do we come up with a baseline culture for the planet? Because we are becoming an interrelated, super connected civilization now. And there's this like struggle between collectivism and individualism, right? And there's, there's a need when a community grows into a next level society or civilization for that collectivism. But along with that currently is that tyrannical collectivism. And that's what I think we all here don't want, right? 
So it's a matter of not just what are we interested in having fun with, what do we survive with, but also what do we fundamentally appreciate about our lives as? Are we sovereign individual beings that strive for a higher sort of perspective or way of existing? And that's what community builds. We get to play out different stories, relationships, and, you know, refine the soul. Whereas if we didn't have those communities, we'd be survival, right? There wouldn't be any of that Maslow's hierarchy. So as we're, as a species trying to figure out, are we individualist? Are we collectivist? And what's the best way to organize that? And how, like, does somebody need to sit on top and organize and tell everybody how to do things? Or are people sophisticated enough to actually manage themselves and manage themselves in communities? I haven't seen very great many examples of that. Um, besides some really, you know, poignant ones, but they're, they're the minority in the larger scope of things. So the question for me is like, how do we build that to be the majority? How do we educate people and build their, their sophistication to a point where they can be responsible for self-governance? Hmm. I mean, we all here are, you know, because we have strived in our, in our own lives in different ways to, to achieve that. There's some yearning at our spirit level, let's say. And so how do we invoke that in the, in the greater community? You know, how do we keep those small relationships that have happen at Nicole's level and then like the governmental stuff that Ben was talking about earlier, you know? You know, I was part of a group or part of the starting of a group. I didn't start it. I helped them go to the second step called Liberty on the Rocks. I don't know, John, if you've heard of them Mm -hmm. or Pete. Yeah, they're in different cities. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so they're basically it's a cocktail hour once a week and it is for people who have a shared value of like political perspective of liberty and when they first started their one rule there are two things you did one was buy somebody else's drink you don't buy your own drink and then the second was um no speeches (laughs) and and it cut out all because it's politics right it cut out i need to come to your group and tell you my thing and that's that's something that worked well for them over time yeah yeah that's good so on uh, one of the things that Xavier ahead. was saying there, um, this is Jack for the podcast audio only side, um, about like how do we, you know, share these values or get these values out? And we, you know, that started off with John asking Xavier a question about permaculture. And I find that interesting because one of the things that I've learned about like spreading permaculture or just gardening or anything is the best way to do that instead of telling people about it or say, hey, look, my way is a better way, is you just do it. You do it and you document it and you demonstrate it. And, and so the only thing I have to do to get somebody to want to plant a garden is bring them over here, let them walk through my gardens and be like, holy crap, and hand them a, a sun-warmed pepper or tomato. And they eat that. Yeah. And then it's like, how do I do this? And that, okay, now you've given me permission to evangelize to you about the thing that I value. And, and you'll actually listen to me because you want it. And I think that the more we can build these communities and demonstrate the power of these communities, then we attract people to them and they say, well, I want to do that too. If you think about most of the people listening to tonight's episode that heard announcements about what it's going to be about, they're here because they want to know how to build community. So they're, we have their permission to, to share those values. And I think as soon as you start, one, I want to put a community together and two, 
I don't really want the government providing my solutions. I think you almost have enough synergy there and then let a thousand communities try a, th try a thousand ways instead of us deciding, hey, what seeds do we want to plant? As Vin was saying, we take the uh, Masanobu Fukuoka solution and his way of reforesting the deserts was get every damn seed, screw worrying about invasive species, make clay balls full of seeds of every tree of everything and just carpet bomb the shit out of the desert and see what grows. And then you'll know. And I think that that's kind of what we have to do with these communities. Like if we have one giant community, then you have a target. Like why hasn't the government shut Bitcoin down? There's not a building that says a big B on the roof and you can hit it with a cruise missile and Bitcoin's gone. It doesn't work that way. The right. more decentralized this stuff is, the harder it is to get your arms around an attack. Yeah. So I, I want to like – this is Vin. This is Vin. Uh, like I, I, I'm, I'm hearing something that's really resonating with me, particularly from Xavier – Uh, you just really articulated it, but I think Nicole was really touching on it with saying that like her house was a hub for all of this. And Jack, I think you hit it again. And then with the Bitcoin situation. So as somebody who's like in the blood involved in the blood sport of the Bitcoin community, like I know that a lot of people believe that like, yeah, Bitcoin has these no points of, of failure, uh, but oh, I'm no. going to let, yeah, I'm going to let you know that um, while it is decentralized and while, of course, anybody can fork the, the uh, you know, repos for Bitcoin Core or Bitcoin ABC or Dash Core or any of those, they're not. They're not because at a certain point with all communities are decentralized, right? But at a certain point, like Christianity was decentralized, but at a certain point you get a church. And when a church gets big enough and a community gets strong enough and there's enough network effect um, those who desire influence either for good or for bad right if they want to move those people who want to move the principles forward they can have the most effect by being involved in the quote unquote church right those people who want to gain power they can have the just for their, their own selfishness they can do that best by getting involved in the quote unquote church and i think that One of the, I mean, I know it's, a lot of this is nice in theory, but watching an open source community in practice uh, turn into the Bitcoin community in particular is what I'm talking about, which is completely open source, mind you, um, turn into a, an absolute cathedral with real leaders who claim to not be leaders yeah. um, is, I think that takes it from out of theory and puts it into practice. And like, you know, I think, Xavier, you brought up something that's like very, very um, it's touchy. And, people, and I know you kind of glazed over it a little bit. But the idea that perhaps there have to be leaders, like perhaps somebody has to step up and say, actually, these are the values. Right. And whether it's in a, a more informal sense, like Nicole, the fact that You know, you're able to say this is the hub and I say what goes on in my own house and that sets the tone of the culture down to, you know, something deeper. I think um, I think that's worth talking about, especially since the people listening now are the potential leaders that I think we need to have a conversation about. When do you take the reins of leadership? What does that mean? Is it a bad thing? Is it a good thing? You know, what are the, we've all been leaders of communities. What are the steps that we've taken on our own? I think that's like, we can't gloss over that and we can't pretend like that doesn't exist because it really does. 
I want to make sure Peter has a, a, a chance to chime in on this too. Yeah. Well, this is Pete. I'm glad that Vin went where he did because yeah, I want to say something to that too. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to play Debbie Downer here because does anybody wah, here? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> we need a goose sound. We need like a <laughs> goose button. <laughs> Does anybody here think that there are people listening to this right now who are like, you know, we can get this community together and something could go really wrong? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody who. Something will go really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The the shirt I'm wearing right now says, remember Mount Caramel, make Waco, Texas, 1993. There you go. There's something really wrong. And there's, and there, there's 78. There are 78 names on the back of the shirt. Wow. And what most people don't realize, I'm, I study Waco. I know the whole history. I mean, I go all the way, I can trace to the founding of the Branch Davidians is that one of the reasons they got on the radar, the ATF is because years before there was a guy named George Roden there who was a complete maniac and he he ended up in jail because he killed somebody. Um, but he put the ATF on, he put the branch Davidians on the radar of the ATF. So people are listening to this and they're thinking, great, these community, these communities sound great, but they can attract attention. So what do we do to make sure that something like that doesn't happen? Yeah. So I wanted to speak to what was before, but that's a pretty intense <laughs> question. <laughs> um, good God. So the way I structure our neighborhoods is the way that we're building them is that they're a neighborhood, intentional neighborhood, you know, and there's a central point of commerce. And then there's a governance mechanism where people don't have to sit around in a room 24 hours, you know, discussing a specific topic and dealing with people's personal ideas syncrasies, right? You can do it online with a, with a, with an app. But, you know, I think of golf clubs, right? Like a neighborhood, like in South Florida, right? There's golf communities where they are all centered around a golf course and there's a, uh, a central clubhouse and then a gate, right? And it's like, you can buy a, a unit in there, but if you adhere to these certain rules and that's, it's sort of agreed to upon before you enter in, right? And at the level of like Waco, I would say that there's an intensity of relationship in that kind of a community because they're all praying together. They're all having altered states together. There's a, a leader that they're following whose, you know, ideas may or may not be okay, but we'll go along because we're part of the cattle, like Jack was saying earlier. So there has to be like clear boundaries, I would think, and a comfortability of culture. And then, um, then you could actually build something in that regard. My opinion. I want I want to respond to what uh, Peter was saying about the, you know, the risk that everyone takes, especially if, you know, we're anarchists, we're obviously anti-authoritarian and uh, that comes on the radar of the government. If you're just out, you know, doing a volunteer group where you pick up trash, that's not going to be a community that would come under their radar unless you cross the street without going to the crosswalk. But um, one thing that that really encouraged me to start really leaning into the development of these communities was precisely because the government is so corrupt, coercive. And I guess it's kind of like running head on to the beast. A lot of people would want to run the other way, but I think that there's an important maxim that there's strength in numbers. 
And even people that are trying to go about their business or their life, there's so many felonies out there and there's so many misdemeanors. People are constantly breaking the law and people are constantly coming under fire, under scrutiny, police brutality, so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, even if we're not organizing in a community or creating a compound and stockpiling weapons and, you know, doing militia training out in the woods, people are still being harmed really natively and being killed, in fact, by the government. So the reason why some people would avoid joining a community is the reason why I think that we ought to join and build communities. And that's part of the reason why we started this freedom cell thing. And essentially it's small groups of around eight people. And there's this research, this guy, John David Garcia, this guy, Bob Podolsky, they found that freedom cells, I'm sorry, a group of eight tends to be the most creative and the most effective at achieving goals. Whenever you have like four or five people, there's not enough people to get things done. There's not enough uniqueness and diversity of ideas. Whenever you have like 16 or 12 people, then there's more conflict and there's less group cohesion. And so the idea essentially, and this is a framework that any other community or any other political philosophy, for example, can take advantage of. You get your eight people, your inner cadre, and then you guys work on mutual goals. Uh, You help one another, you perform mutual aid. Then you encourage the creation of eight other groups. And then these eight other groups link up in what we call middle cadre. Maybe that's in a certain geographic area. And then you encourage the creation of eight other groups of eight that are maybe across a region or across the state of Texas, for example. And these people all help support one another. And the group that we have going, not everyone's networked in those specific groups in that structure, but there's 2,400 people now that are participating in this network. And back to the question of leaders and followers, one thing that uh, this guy Derek Bros and I are the ones, I came up with the idea and then he really popularized it and just spread it all across the globe, actually. But we found in trying to encourage these groups to get more organized even though we want it to be like a leaderless thing people are still looking for direction and some people are even looking to have their hand held so there's that struggle and that tension whereby we want people to feel responsible and to take ownership in this concept and this great idea but at the same time i think it's just a natural thing where there are natural leaders and there are people naturally that were follow that will follow and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing unlibertarian about that per se. So I want to invite people to check out uh, our group at freedomcells.org. And there's people, there's a map where you can find if there's people in your area. And you might be surprised if you think there's no one in your area. There's tons of people all across the globe, like I said. But maybe we can, if anybody else wants to chime in on the whole follower leader dichotomy thing and that tension there. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, Shaq here. I want to say a few things. First, let's go all the way back to Vin's stuff on, like, Bitcoin and fighting for control and leaders and it becomes a church and what have you. I'm not sure. I know Vin is a huge philosopher, but I don't know if you're familiar, Vin, with the Iron Law of Bureaucracy from Jeffrey Pornell, uh, the late Jeffrey Pornell who just recently departed us. But the Iron Law states that in any organization, especially of any size, eventually you'll get a dichotomy in that organization of people that are either dedicated to the mission or dedicated to the organization. And the people dedicated to the organization will end up controlling the organization. They'll get all the promotions. They'll make all the rules. And they'll become 
diametrically separated from the people that are actually out fulfilling the mission, and those people become very ineffectual in what they're trying to do. Look at a school system, administrators and teachers would be a perfect example. Libertarian the, Party is a perfect example. Oh, yeah, LP is a dumpster fire, in what, the words of Pete Quignones, right? One thing, one thing I can say is um, I was going to mention the fact that probably the closest thing I've ever been to a cell, a freedom cell or a group tight knit group is, and I don't really talk about this really ever is I've done overseas mission work. And one of the problems with that is a lot of times it's not really the mission. People start getting attached to the leader. Mm -hmm. And that's a big, that's a big problem. That's when, people start losing their autonomy and somebody can really jump in there and uh, lead you down a bad path. Yeah. And I think we give too much over to leaders, but I kind of want to walk through all of these things as quick as I can. So the next thing was like Pete brought up about like the branch Davidians and what have you. And what I've determined is you can have a group and not be a target, and you should have a group and not be a target. Don't make a target out of yourself. Right. Uh, one of the problems the Branch Davidians had is largely they had all these people living in just a couple buildings. It was complete cohabitation, and that makes it very easy for it to look cultish. Whether it is or it isn't, it it, it looks that way. So communes are out, and I like tried to put together something like that. At one time, I kind of took some tests, uh, testing of the waters, and I had like $12.5 million of potential capital raised in 48 hours. And I was like, I'm going to go do this thing. And a guy from the uh, FTC came to a thing I was speaking at that next day and said, I listen to you, I love you, but they will put you in federal prison if you do it the way you're planning on doing it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that because of the way I was going to raise the money in such a way that there would be an active revenue share for the whole thing back to everybody. So I was publicly soliciting funds with people I didn't have a pre-existing relationship with, even though they were my audience. And Oh, the SEC, yes. yes yeah, the SEC, yeah. not the FTC, SEC. So the SEC, they will throw you in Club Fed. And I said people, you should do it anyway. I'm like, you're not the one going to Club Fed, <laughs> right? I'm not going to Club Fed. So, And then I walked down a whole different way, bunch of ways to do it, and every time I looked at doing it, the more I thought about doing it, the more problems I saw, and the more I th- saw that we were a target. So I think you kind of stay away from that and, like, Xavier, you're talking about you build neighborhoods around a, a common ideal. That's different. Now it's my house. It's my house. Right. It's my property. Even yeah. if we don't have fences and we share property, and this has been done. Uh, the best example I know of in the world of like regenerative agriculture, permaculture, sustainability is village homes in California. And that was done years and years ago. And those houses are worth four times what a house across in the next subdivision is worth. And they have that very, very strong community feel. And basically the whole place is full of food. It's just um, added services in the neighborhood. Instead of building around a golf there. course, you build around a farm. You know, it's that, simple. That, that makes it harder to lower the burden of entry for people, but people have to have yeah. a place to live anyway, so there's an expense yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah. There's also another community in California. I don't remember what it's called. It's much smaller, and it's much more on the lines of what Nicole did. And what they did is they kind of picked a neighborhood, and then they like went in and bought a house, and then they yeah. bought another house. And then they took the fence down, so they had one big yard for two houses. And then they just started every time a house went up for sale or somebody kind of looked like, hey, you know, maybe you want to move, right? And like, yeah, all the crazy hippies are coming. Maybe you want to get a good offer. And basically they ended up taking over a whole block. And the whole thing is like fenced in one giant backyard. And all those now, but it's it's not really a target. 
On the last thing, though, of like leading and when to lead, it depends. And I think that like John's approach of these smaller groups makes the way that works effectively a lot more likely to occur. So if we have a group of five or six or eight people, we're all going to know each other really well. It's not like, oh, you're here to see Jack. Well, maybe he'll come out and I have handlers or something and there's you know, <laughs> 50,000 people out in an audience or something. And like you get to see me and there's like a like like Scientology where you've got like an inner circle and a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger. You have to work your way to that leader. You know, the leader is great. The leader is good type thing. Mm-hmm. If you're eight people like we all know each other. And, you know, basically, if John and I are in that group and he feels like telling me to fuck off, he'll tell me to fuck off. Right. I, I'm not St. Jack. And I'm not going to be St. Jack. And that's, you know, that's a good thing. And so if you avoid that iron law, then it's a real simple rule for leadership. You lead when you are the best person to lead for that time. And when that time or that thing stops, GF out, right? Get it's out of the based way. based on merit. Right? merit. Right? We yeah. do workshops here. Nicole's been to them. Vin's been to them um, where we'll have a project going on. And all of a sudden, like, you realize somebody like, oh, he's done this before. And I'm the instructor. I get the fuck out of the way. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let him yeah, yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. He knows what he's doing. And as soon as that's over, like, okay, we need this. Okay, well, I'll take that back over. And then somebody else takes over. And that is the way that tribal systems generally work. Even if you had a chief, when you were hunting, you had the best hunter. When you were farming, you had the best farmer. And people who knew who that was through merit, it was a meritocracy. But it wasn't, yep. the leadership wasn't authority. It was a duty. And, yep. and that is that takes a certain amount of humility, yeah. you know. And everybody here is kind of an alpha personality, or we probably wouldn't be here. So for the ideal leadership candidate is always that kind of alpha personality. So you have to always be checking yourself: is it time to stop? And I think it's well, how do you stop. scale that? How do you <laughs> you don't scale that? That's the problem. Well, you can. No. There are ways to do it. They just haven't been designed and implemented yet. But the fact is, is like you have to have accountability as well, right? So there's a neighborhood. Two things. There's a neighborhood right down the, the holler, and it's uh, it's the oldest intentional community in the United States. It's called Silo, and it was a bunch of Quakers that got together, bought a big tract of land, and made their own community. Not a target. They have a hospital. They have a school, like really well-functioning. Sure. Check them out. Um, but then to, it's it's how do you scale merit? And like Facebook has been trying to do this. LinkedIn has an approach at it, right? It's like they're good at this and this because so-and-so and so-and-so who are good at that say that they're good. You know, there there are attempts at building that. And like you, you can go and look at products on Amazon and you can see like, oh, that's a shitty product because there's like 12 uh, reviews on it and they're all bad, you know? So there are ways that we're all looking at, at building that, but we're, you know, how do you get, go from that community of eight to like eight pods of eight and then eight pods of eight of those and be able to manage that? You know, that's, that's an interesting question for me. And, and Ben, what you'd said about, Bitcoin, it's like people don't realize that there are six, or at least when last time I checked, there were six main coders for the, for the blockchain, right? And they all work for the same nonprofit. And then if you look at mining, it's mostly owned by big Chinese mega corporations at this point. And if they wanted to fork it, that's what they do. So it's really vulnerable when you don't have that leadership to hold that together and, and kind of get everybody going in the same direction. All you have is like the wild wilderness growth instead of a permaculture garden, you know? Well, I mean, to, to, to jump on two of those, you, you actually sort of hit on, uh, you, like, amplified something that I, I was noticing and, and off of Jack's comments. It seems like everything that we've talked about, and I want to jump back to Bitcoin just because, I mean, that's that's a, a, a community that is generating and has generated 
globally a lot of wealth, right? And is and is set to generate even more wealth. And you know, we're all users of cryptocurrency, and we all know how powerful it is. Um, but what I've heard so far that we've talked about is we've talked about communities in person, right? Like IRL in real right. life communities. And it's like, while I am also participating in those, and while I do believe that that is incredibly important, when we talk about how do we scale this thing in the modern age, when we talk about scaling anything, I mean, we are immediately talking about this going virtual, right? Like even now, even us being able to have this conversation, I mean, we're not in person. The reason that we're able to scale this conversation to potentially millions of people is because we're, we're able to do this remotely. And, you know, when you talk about Bitcoin, yeah, that while you have those developers, whether it's uh, protocol developers, wallet developers, whatever it is, very few of those people are in the same place. Very, very few. I mean, with, with, the, with a few exceptions of, you know, some of the Bitcoin core guys working for, this, for Blockstream or whatever and like all working in one office, still a lot of them are not in the same place. So I, I, I you know, I'm, I am a little bit skeptical of the power of in-person communities and the communities that we're talking about, which I think is where it has to start at a nascent level. I, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of the power of those communities to even insulate their members, you know, in the next 20 years from the power of the communities that are developing things virtually in the way that we are doing that we are doing it now. Um, and why wouldn't somebody step away from one of those in-person communities, you know, especially if we're talking about things like cryptocurrency, 3D printing, I mean, but it may even go further into into things like agriculture, where, where when the makerspace moves into the organic, which I think is going to happen very, very soon. How so? How do we like outside of saying to somebody, "Well, you got to move here," you know? That's what we're experiencing right here, right? I would love everybody to move to Saipan so that we could be next to everybody. Like it's got to happen. But besides saying you got to move here, or you got to come here, or you got to do this, you know, at at, at to what degree are the people listening to this podcast right now part of a community or not? Like, where does where does the line get drawn? At what point are you in and at what point are you just an observer? I think that's a really important, we have to bridge that gap if we want to scale. I don't know how to bridge the gap. I've been doing this a long time and I still don't know how to bridge the gap fully between like, you know, everybody who's in, in the audience is now in the community without coming in person. Yes. So, so I, I, I'm glad we're making that turn because I wanted to make sure we kind of covered virtual communities and physical communities both tonight. That's really important to me. Most of my community is vir virtual. My community is all over the world, but it's also made up of hundreds and hundreds of sub-communities that, that have formed. And then some of them have kind of left the nest and gone off and done their own thing. And this is something that as a marketer, and I mean, that's, that's how I built my success with, with my podcast is by effectively marketing it. I did what I tried to get big brands to do that they would never do. Let go. They wanted to control everything. I had so many, I mean, you're sitting with like 12 self-important assholes in $5,000 suits around a $50,000 conference table. And they tell you, I want to go viral, but I want to control it. And you just, 
I want your money, so I don't want to say what I'm really thinking is, which fucked hard, you can't do that. Like, you either go viral or you control it. You can't do both. And if you want a movement to go viral, you have to be willing to let go. So virtual communities, what I see happen destroy them is dictatorship. So we do have communities that we actually describe as voluntary dictatorships. We have one around regenerative agriculture. But when we say that, we don't really mean like, well, I'm in charge. We mean like there's kind of like a, a, a proto-constitution. Like here's the rules. This is how you're, this is what you can and can't talk about here because it's about this thing. And here's how you have to treat each other. And other than that, do whatever you want. And when somebody's like, well, I'm going to do whatever I want, we ban them. And that's one of the beautiful things about virtual communities. Like if I move you to my next door neighbor and you end up sucking and I got to get rid of you, oops, right? You're complicated. If you are part of a Telegram group and you know, we're using Telegram to communicate back channel, I really recommend people within this community. We're going to put together a uh, Facebook group this week for Unloose the Goose. Don't really do your stuff on Facebook. That's They're not your friend. Find people and break off and create your own Telegram channels and things like that that are encrypted. Uh, but create these subgroups and then just build them on common values and, and, and let that see where that goes. Because if you think you can tune into a podcast and even with this group of people, we can tell you, Do A, B, C, D, E in a computer community that does great things pops out the other end. It doesn't work that way. Everybody here that's ever built a successful online virtual community has built 10 that were flaming dumpster fire disasters as well. So we, we, we kind of have to take the law of large numbers in, into account here. And I mean, I've proposed things as, as grand and I, I would love to see it happen. And people have taken stabs at it, but it just didn't work yet. Like virtual nations. Like, why can't we self-assemble yeah. into virtual nations where we – because a nation and a state are different things, and a, a nation does not have to be physical, right? There, There is – you know, there are religious nations that are built on that community of faith that act as like, like kind of a global distributed nation. And one thing I'd love to get Vin to do, because he has such a great mind for stuff like this, I know permaculture is not your big thing, but the permaculture design manual is broken into 14 chapters. And when you teach a permaculture design course, each day you teach one chapter. The 14th chapter is called Alternative Strategies for a Global Nation, right? And it, it has a blueprint for how you do this, at the physical level, but I think it could be extrapolated out into the virtual level. And there's a thing in that strategy and in multiple these diagrams that Bill Mollison came up with called LETS, which are basically like Ithaca hours or like you make your own money to spend. The only reason that crazy old man didn't say to use cryptocurrency is because when he wrote the book in 1989, it didn't exist. If you put cryptocurrency into that, that chapter of the PDM is exactly what we're talking about skinning And then you just take it to a virtual world. That's that was that's what permacredits was designed on, building communities and doing that exactly what you spoke about, right? So that's what we're doing with FireOn. Um, but the, there is there's this whole like mark of the beast. People are afraid of transformation and change, and there's like things that are just coming. I mean, we've got quantum computers, we've got AI, we've got things that are gonna happen. But it's, it's not like oh, we have to put that back. There's no putting it back in the box. 
So the matter of, uh, is how do we manage that? How do we manage those tools in a responsible way and in a way of, of accountability and make sure that they're in the hands of the right people or at least create an island in the sea of tyranny that is a example of what a good civilization run by intelligent, um, proactive, accountable people could look like? Well, I guess the, the other question is in the digital world, are not the same kind of good leaders and bad leaders going to become apparent, right? We have already got the digital communication, the digital communities up and running. They're already there. We already have tools that work. We can make it better. But if you look back at how successful in-person communities work, it's the same foundation. So to me, it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel as hard other than it's easier in a digital community for, for the, the bad element to get too much power faster. But it's also easier, as Jack was saying, I think it was Jack, yeah, just to shut them off. Whereas if you're in the same territory, then you kind of have to figure out a way to make it work. And um, yesterday or the last podcast, Vin brought up this great thing that took us down a rabbit hole about this new age that we're experiencing, this big shift that we're experiencing. And I, I didn't get to mention it, but after the fact, I was thinking, I think one of the big dichotomies that we're going to see between the old and the new is centralization shifting into decentralization. And that's how things have always been done in a centralized way. Well, I think it went from decentralized tribes, you know, and roaming folks, and then it got centralized with the advent of the state and the nation state. And what Murray Rothbard says, it's it's whenever like the Vikings and the pillagers, they decided like, hey, instead of going from community to community, why don't we just stick around and tax the people? And that would be a lot easier, you know, a lot less energy. Um, but I think the big transition is going to be into this decentralized and there's going to be new experimental forms of, of governance and of association that are going to be non-territorial. And I think we're going to see traditional governments and states, which are dependent on mon- geographic monopolies on violence and all sorts of services, they're really going to have to struggle to innovate and either innovate or die, or they're just going to continue to coerce everybody. We know they are. Uh, but I think that's like Jack always talks about how these industries are getting really hammered by COVID, but really it's just accelerating the inevitable. And I think one thing that we're seeing with this virtualization of community is uh, now everyone's being forced to stay home and everyone's getting used to the Zoom and everyone's getting used to the telecommuting and, and the kids are getting used to the going to school on their computers. So I think it's really just accelerated that. And, um, you know, I, I like the in-person human connection. That's not going to go away, but there is a lot of opportunity for experimental communities and creating alternatives to government that we're going to see springing up all over the place. It's an exciting time to be alive. Opportunities and threats. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think there's a big thing in, in what John's saying there about the COVID killing and dying. With the word I've been using over and over in every place, the disruptions were already coming that are now being accelerated. So there's a lot of bad in COVID. Let's talk about some of the good, even though it's going to bring misery because it's going to cause a freaking economic recession, possibly depression, is the test drive. So when John was talking about like homeschooling, my estimates based on every all the data I'm looking at is we're going to have between 5 and 15 million new homeschoolers from 2020 to 2021. Right now there's 2 million. To give you an idea of that exponential growth curve, um, 
post-secondary education colleges, is they're going to get ripped. There's over 6,200 degree-granting universities in this country. If they go to a mostly on, online model, how do you support 6,200 universities? <laughs> All those buildings why, and stuff. Why would I go to the University of Sheboyganville, right, If all of a sudden I can go to UTA or, you know, University of Texas or something like that, a big school that people know for half the price, I, I wouldn't. Like, the only reason people go to all these little satellite universities all over the place is why? Because that's where I got in. You know, it's, it's the level of school I want, and they let me in. Well, what if any level you want will let you in because you have the grades? And so there's so many things, like you're talking about Zoom conferencing, et cetera. People are using technology they never used before. Well, all of a sudden – They can start using that for self-organization. The problem is the government will – like Vin said a long time ago on my show, it was really a great comment. He said something like, the government cannot win a technology war because two guys in a garage can compete with them. But what they can do is they can make whatever technology is in vogue by subsidizing one group really popular and really easy and dumbed down at the GUI level to the user to where it becomes the de facto monopoly, and then they can surveil that. Then they can, you know, collect data on that, and that's something that we have to be, you know, really cautious with. And one of the things we maybe need to be doing as leaders is teaching people about using alternatives with encryption and things like that. Because on encryption, just because I hate the state, I think you should encrypt every thing you do you send your aunt a picture of a kitty saying hang on baby encrypt that shit because then they have to devote effort to decrypt that cat picture and if it takes their computer six months to get that cat picture like you can grind down the beast but we have to educate people into ways to do that yeah no i i think that's like it, there's an opportunity for community that i have really seen like working in the bitcoin and blockchain space i mean You know, I myself have released uh, encryption libraries that are not like within this year that people are now using uh, heavily in Bitcoin Cash. And it's like uh, with my own kids, what I've said is, you know, why certainly as and I think the people listening, this has been again, by the way, all, I think the people listening should be thinking about the fact that, okay, if we're going to have this homeschooling, this is the this is the like Kanye said in his little campaign rally pause this is pause and take a minute to breathe that's what this covid thing is pause take a minute to breathe what do we really want and what can we get now what can, what can we achieve because all of us have paused and we can reset and i think one of those things is educating our children And certainly I've even experienced that here is that one of the things that is cohering the community that we have here, there's basically two things. One is, for some reason, all of the guys, or maybe that's why they've coalesced into it, but so many of the guys are married to Russian women, myself included, right? So, like, all the Russian women get together, and that means that every Sunday all the husbands are at the barbecue, and it just turns out that we're all very useful to each other in all of the things that we're doing. That's kismet. Okay. But the other thing is kids. And, you know, I think that there's no better binder when it comes to community than, you know, you're educating your kids, your kids are participating in sports together, um, you know, you're, you're whatever it is. And we're seeing this move. But, you know, the fact that math education should be like, let's have that be the end. Like by the time they're of high school age and are getting out, They could literally write the math for Bitcoin 
and reconstitute Bitcoin and, and do cr the cryptography and write a Bitcoin transaction and mine a Bitcoin block by hand, which is possible, by the way. And it's not even really all that hard of math. Right. But to even but moving from this idea of they're going to be sheep to moving to the idea that, yeah, if you were a high school graduate and you could do that, not only would you be able to pass your AP mathematics test with flying colors, but it would have been to a purpose. Like, how do we use this? We use this for money, buddy. Money. Like, you see this that you're using right now? This is it. You see this of hiding this message so nobody can see it? This is it. And, and I think that that's, that's, that's one of the reasons for this pause. Like, we have this opportunity that, like, that's – and that's a principle around which to swirl a community. And a strong principle, like, we're going to educate our kids. Well, what are we going to educate our kids for? Pause. Why don't we step back and look at all the things that we're using and empower our kids in that way? That's the decentralized way of doing it. So there's an interesting thing there when you bring up kids, and I'm back to one of my fiction books, the one I mentioned last week by Piers Anthony called Isle of Women. And as you read through that, for those that didn't get the episode last week, basically it's this family that starts out at the dawn of civilization and they get separated and they kind of journey through two different paths through reincarnation at different times in history. It's very, very fiction based, but it's also very historically accurate. And as they come through kind of like, like the time of Carthage and stuff like that, they start talking about how like as, as wars and battles would happen and, and, and different groups would take, you know, slaves or actually maybe not like with children, they might even just take them in and adopt them. And these children were kind of put into these communities of learning from all these different backgrounds. They actually evolved language. The children created all the evolution of language. And that's incredibly plausible because go talk to a 15 year old. And sometimes you're like, what the hell is this kid talking about? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I mean, like, you know, and I, now I understand why my grandparents looked at me the way that they did when I was 15 and they heard me talking like, what is this kid talking about? And so imagine if you're actually taking this multicultural discipline of children and bringing them together. Well, if we can start to coalesce our communities and, and realize that like the time to expose our children to these ideas, like Vin is saying here, is not when they're 18, it's when they're eight, right? And, and then let their, them develop the communities, because they're better at it than us. You put, like, 20 adults in a room that don't know each other, and they're all like, you put 20 kids together, they're all on the couch playing with each other, right? I mean, and they work out their own hire, and they just do it. So adding to that, though, Vin was talking about, like, the math and the coding and all. I think that's freaking cool. But I was also thinking, like, pretty smart guy, but when I was, like, 16 years old, I would have been like, you know what? That's cool. You know how to do that. Teach your kid how to do that. He could do that shit for me. I have all this other cool stuff that I want to learn. And it, so if we're going to take control of our children's education, there is a core level of knowledge and understanding of math and science and, and reason and logic and the trivium we need to teach our kids. But if we can identify the things that they're passionate about and send them down that path and put them in groups and say, since you're really passionate about this, you take this on and you do this thing. And since you don't really give a shit about how to code Bitcoin, but you want to use it, your buddy over there, you guys talk about what you wanted to do and you figure out how he can make it do that. And dad and, and, and Uncle Vin will get you some help and bring in some extra guns for that stuff if you want it done and you can't quite figure something out. And all of a sudden, now you're taking that virtual community, you're putting it on steroids, and you're handing it to the next generation. Instead of trying to build it and leave it to them as inheritance, you're actually empowering them to build it because, you know, folks, they're going to be fucking better at it than we are. 
Yeah, they we really have, are. We're, we're going to be the equivalent of have to fix Granny's VCR so she can see the movie, right? And we better and get that shit dead. right because we're all getting older <laughs> and we're going to need them to take care of us. You know, I mean, we really are. Well, I think along with that, Jack, though, the thing we have to show our children, and I don't have children, I just get to influence other people's children's and nieces, is how to be leaders that can also follow. Yeah. Because leadership does not have to be dictatorship, but the models they have are that the leader is the authority in the front of the room telling you what to do and how to do it. And it's hard to bust that. So then when they become a leader, they think they need to stand in front of the room and tell people, you know, the virtual equivalent of that what to do, how to do it, rather than, as you said at your workshop, identifying this person's better than that. I can back off. Yeah. I can hand them what I've got, let them go. Yeah. I think that's it, whether it's ourselves or whether it's our role in a community or whether it's raising children or a tribe's children or whether it's a government or a, a hierarchy just like Jack was saying, the letting go and really the checking of the ego is so important. And I think if people can just move past that, and hopefully that's one of the elements of this big transition that we're going through, I think spontaneously something more beautiful and more natural and more free will will evolve. But there's this strong, innate desire in so many people, myself, us included, to control and I think a lot of it is based in fear and like, you know, arguably we're living in a trauma based society where there's so many terrible things that happen. There's so much violence. There's so much war. So people feel out of control. So in turn, they want to control. And, you know, I, I, I think that the government that we have, which is really coercive and tyrannical, it's a result of social engineering and programming, public education having a lot to do with that. But it's also a reflection of the people that exist within that society. And so I think as more and more people check their ego and are willing to let go and just kind of see what happens spontaneously, and maybe this is an intergenerational thing that needs to take place, I think we'll be able to arrive at something that's a lot more in line with with human harmony. I think I kind of got John, deep there, but I don't know if that made sense. John mentioned tyrannical government there. And I have an article that's dropping tomorrow where I asked the question of through this whole COVID thing and then just <laughs> very easily jumps right into the whole George Floyd thing. I mean, it just, it's very weird. Is the gov- is the government right now a wounded animal that's just lashing out? You look at what happened in Portland where they're sending in the um, Department of Homeland Border Patrol. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a border patrol. They're paramilitary group, which is normally fighting cartels and like South America or looking for terrorists. Is this a last gasp? Is this a wounded animal that is trying to hurt somebody? What are we looking at right now? And what can we plan for? Well, that's my hometown you're talking about. So I've been in a lot. I've actually been paying attention to that more than I usually pay attention to those kinds of current events. 
The interesting thing I read about today is to protect the protesters, a line of mothers put their bodies physically between the the sort of paramilitary people and the protesters. But what you've got going on over there are two sides that refuse to waver from their perspective to even try to find common ground. And it's that's the thing when Vin's talking about digital communities and banding together. And when I'm hearing about handing it over to the children, that's the thing we're really fighting. In that case, both sides are wrong because they can't find common ground and their solution is to become violent and it becomes revolution. And at the end of revolution, what do you get? More government, more government, dead people, tyranny. You don't get a bunch of freedom and happy, fun, loving walks on the beach. And, and that's the thing that actually motivates me to come on this podcast. I want to learn from y'all how do we push back on that with our communities? Because it's kind of like the mask argument. You can't have it. You can't actually have a reasoned discussion about a freaking <laughs> mask right now. No. Which is absurd. You know? There's a lot of underlying things going on there that are manifesting in that. But, like, yeah. what Jack had said, so we, we are electric beings. There, we have electric currents holding all of our cells and molecules together. The Earth has an electromagnetic field, and it's getting all wonky. So everybody fundamentally at a super subconscious level that they're not even aware of is all freaking crazed out because they don't know what's going on to the very firmament that they are on. And they don't even know how to put that into words yet. The second thing is, is what I think Jackie would said about it. Uh, it's like two groups always form within a group, right? The, the, the dichotomy, the North Pole and the South Pole, those who are holding the system together and those who are expounding the proponents of that system, right? And that there's always a disconnect. And you can look at like the Republican kind of way of things and that's sort of like the system controllers. They want to run the system. And then the Democrats are like, we want to expand it into what humanity and liberty is supposed to be and explore all of that. And right now there is no agreement because there is no trust because both sides are doing crazy shit. And it's, and it's that, that interplay of electricity at its most fundamental level that we are sitting in the middle, you know, yellow flag of the goose, like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't fucking, don't fuck with me. You know, <laughs> like we yeah. want to take a very balanced yeah. approach and balance the two polarities and make yeah. something beautiful. Yeah, leave us alone turns into fuck around and find out really fast, right? <laughs> it really uh, does. You know, Peter, but, I don't think we've touched the animal yet. I don't think it's wounded but, at all. But he, no, I actually think the animal is a wounded dying oh. beast. And let me tell you something about that. Don't celebrate that because it's a big beast. It takes a long time to die, and it might take more than a, a full human lifetime to die. I think it's been dying for a long time, but as Vin kind of cued us in on last week, it's not the beast dying. It's not like the U.S. government dying. It is the old age dying right. and a new age dying. And the question is, how long is there an overlap there? And my advice to anybody, community or not, get the hell out of the cities. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. you notice that, like, you hear all these rumblings, like, we're going to, a, we're going to go out to the rural communities next. No, you're not. No. I, I promise you right now, no, you're not. First of all, you won't get a bunch of big screen TVs in one location, and two people will shoot you. 
and you can yeah. prosecute them or whatever. But I mean, I'm back to I'd rather be judged by twelve than be carried by six. And right? they're not so, going to hear the and they're not going to hear the shot coming. At least yeah. in my case, no. And so <laughs> my they won't hear it as it happens in my case, right? Like so. <laughs> anyway, um, so where, where same <laughs> same making gun noises. Uh, this, this is where the, this is where the goose sound comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we got to get that together. Oh, if so someone could get a suppressor, if someone could build a suppressor that sounded like a goose, that'd be amazing. That would be we so dope to have it. But <laughs> I think also the cities as a thing are dying. They're as part of this this order. Like I'm not saying there'll never be cities again, and you know the end of the city is here. But new cities can't look like the existing cities. We cramped way too many people into way too small an area, and COVID kind of shows you, hey, that's not really a good idea. And COVID, whether anybody wants to accept this or not, get, here's your trigger warning, it's coming. It's a cold. It's a coronavirus. It's a cold. And most of the people that kills are older than the average age of people that would die anyway. That doesn't mean I don't value their life, but that's what it is. And what makes that scary is, what if it wasn't? <laughs> What if this actually was the big scary behemoth that they're making it out to be? What if this something really was going to kill five or six million people? What if it was something akin? Right, yeah. Well, they would be still dying. (laughs) What if this was akin to the Black Death that took a third of the global population out? And I don't care where you are. Disease can get you anywhere. But when you put, for instance, with New York, and you take 8.6 million people, and you put them in 302 square miles, and then they travel around in buses and in trains through tubes, and you get a disease or an infection in that environment, you're going to get exactly what you saw there. And so I think people will see that. They'll also see that, like, you are vulnerable in the city because there's enough stuff to make the concept of rioting functional, right? And then they, now they've determined their government won't do the square root of F all when a riot occurs. And in some of our cities, now you've got homeless people taking a crap on the front step of a guy's porch, right? And if he pushes the guy off the porch while he's taking his shit on his porch, they'll arrest him, but they won't do anything about the guy taking a dump. Now, you're not going to build crazy. Commu- You can't build community with that, right? So you got to get, I know I'm kind of sidelining here, but you've got to get away from these metro areas. And that is a mega trend that's happening right now. That's happening. Rents are falling in every major, especially coastal city in the United States. It's leading, going to lead to a complete crash of real estate. And that's an opportunity community because when you start moving people, people move for a reason. If you can tie into that, that's back to your physical communities and your non-physical communities. Yeah. But to, back to what you were saying about the government, it's like I don't think people really have a good grasp of what a communist uh-oh. We're losing you. He started talking about the communists. He's getting We're the communists. Yeah. Shutting the down. Wives didn't oh. like Sky it, comms. did they? <laughs> yeah, they don't like what I'm saying. So, just yeah, a communist it. dictatorship, not a good idea. And we've got to make sure that we don't balkanize the United States in this process. You know, one thing we have to be careful of, you know, we use the word communism, and it's it's easy to conjure up anger toward communism is – that really what we're dealing with here is fascism. And, and I'm not talking about Antifa, who really is a fascist, anti-fascist organization. Right, right? Right, right. I'm talking about our generalized economy in the United States. It's been fascist for as long as anybody here has been alive and longer than that. And it continues to evolve. And the danger of fascism, the true danger of fascism is an economic system, is it actually works better than communism. 
right? So you have less bread lines, et cetera. It looks shinier. If you, like, I don't know if anybody here has seen Man in the, the series Man in the High Castle on Amazon, but the premise is that the U.S. lost the war and Japan takes over the Western United States and it's just a slum and the Nazis took over the Eastern United States and it looks like 1960s America. You know, all the women are in pretty clothes and all. And the, the danger of fascism is it's just as deadly, but on the surface, it's nice and shiny. And that lets you sell ideas to people for a lot longer. You can use both of those ideologies to lead gullible people down a bad path, but you can keep them following the guy with the flute for a lot longer with fascism. That is its true danger. What we've done is we've equated concentration camps and fascism to the point where fascism means Hitler, right? right. And right. if you if you look, there's a, there's a lot of fascists that have existed that everybody goes, yeah, that guy was a fascist. That ran countries that didn't do it the way Hitler did. So we've we've muddied that water to where we say, oh, that's fascism. And you, you say that and people start thinking about gas chambers and stuff like that. And I ain't saying that can't happen. I'm just saying, like, if you define fascism that way, then you won't see it when it's plain as day right in front of you. I guess we're straying from communities here. But that is the that is the threat I see. Now, the dying beast, it is dying. And there is something to be said. If, like, there is a really dangerous thing in that building over there dying, then just stand back, do your own thing, maybe start a little fire in front of the door so it can't come out, and well, let it die. And if your buddy runs in there, you go, you know, he had a good run. He had a good run, man. <laughs> well, to circle back to community, Jack, because you were going down a path there that was pretty good in fascism and communism overlap with community. Okay. The communities that are made by those types of governments are are the same. They're organized around similarity. Just like your fourth grade classroom in the government school is a bunch of fourth graders. They're all fourth graders. They're all in the same one to two year age range. When you look at an educational outcome, that's allowed our teachers to specialize. Part of what this pause of COVID is giving the education system is a view into what it means to be so reliant on teachers that are so specialized on one thing that they can't support the yeah. many. And that expands out to community where if your community is so specialized on one thing, it's going to wither and die because you need that diversity. One of the ways to help avoid the spread yeah, of diseases is to have smaller schools if you're going to do it in person and a better outcome is to have different skill levels and age levels and have the kids helping each other learn as opposed to putting all people of 10 years of age into this one spot. And I think that is part of the battle. You know, that's on a school level. It's my example. That's the battle we see is that sameness community pushing back on people self-organizing who are all very different from each other. And then, the brilliance of what they do is they call that diversity and it's sameness. I love it, but I don't want it. <laughs> I think um, I think that we have a good opportunity here. And when Jack was talking about communism and fascism, I was thinking about how big the stakes are because I know, you know, every election cycle, everyone's like, this is the biggest one. I'm not talking about the election, but things are really, <laughs> things are really bad right now. And, the dying beast government is cracking down really strongly. So I guess I just want to encourage all the listeners that are, that are following along to, 
uh, if you can, to maybe ramp up your efforts to maybe make more phone calls, to maybe if you had that idea that you were sitting on or you've been meaning to go meet up in person or virtually uh, to do it because, you know, I have children and um, sometimes I'm concerned what the future is going to be like for them. I'm always the optimist, but I do think that the response to COVID and all these riots are really opening people's eyes and giving a sense of urgency, even though the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Um, I think everyone is thinking about in that pause to go back to Kanye West of all people, the pause, it is a pause and we need to be asking ourselves, asking everyone around us, encouraging people to ask themselves, what can we do differently? What do you want? Yeah, what do you want to see out of this? Because we have the power to build something new. A lot of people feel impotent in that regard, but you know, it just takes some people with some great ideas getting taking massive action, and we really could spring out of this little COVID era into some really cool, exciting things. And we really ought to again because there's so many planks of the Communist Manifesto that have been in place in this country for decades, and now the fascists growth and the whole Trump thing where he's pushing back on the deep state, but he's also extremely authoritarian and he's DHS agents like the time for change is now. And I guess that's one of the reasons why we assembled this podcast group to to bring you guys that. Well, the what the what do you want question is like, maybe that's the question for the audience. I think that that's what nobody is asking, honestly, like (laughs) just the very, very simple, like, what do you want? Humans like, of Earth, what is it that you want? <laughs> well, that, if there was ever a time, at least as long as I've been alive, where that, that was actually a valid question, like for the first time it, like in my life, I feel like, wait a minute, that's actually a valid question where we could be like, education, what do you want? Security, what yeah. do you want? Like yep. instead of rioting in the streets that, what we have is not what I would like. It's like, well, that's what's <laughs> missing. That's what's missing from these these protests is it's like, well, what do you want? Well, yes. well I don't like I don't like what's happening. Okay, well, what do you want? It's <laughs> like, so on the police. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if 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 government is a business now, right? Then mm-hmm. he or she who provides the most services at the lowest price with the most rewards will win that game because it's yeah. now consumer like the humans of the world are now the the consumers and the customer, right? And so if government switches from how can we get from them to what can we give them as a good marketer, Jack knows the more you figure out what they want, you know, and what you're saying, Vin, it's like, yeah, give them what they want and then they'll love you and then they'll give you money and then you'll be able to do your business. So, you so know, people but what, need to ask what, or people, people need to think, what do I want? And then they need to actually say it. And they That's may as well the say it to us and we can talk about it every week. You know what I mean? And we got to have a voting system that, that is secure, that you can trust that, that what they're saying is what they're actually is the result on the other end. The only problem that comes up there is the two groups we talked about earlier, the, the yep. group of people that just want to be left alone. Right. Like if you ask me what I want most, I'll figure it out for myself. Leave me alone. <laughs> and then the other group of people that just won't leave you alone. Right, and, right. and and that apparatus of the government and the state is something that we need to be strategic in avoiding. And like when I think of like where I live or where Nicole lives, we my life is largely unaffected by government. Now, from a tax standpoint with federal taxes and stuff, yeah, you know, I mean, it, there's the issue there. And there's some things I'd like to do that are a little bit impinged. But day to day, there's no government here. There isn't. Right. It just doesn't exist. And if like if you're out in the holler with Nicole, there's. 
There's no Bearcats rolling through firing guns off or something like that. That's just not happening. And I think that if we can start getting people to ask the question, what do I want, and coming up with proposals and answers, if that makes big changes, fine. But never underestimate the power of that individual making that change inside that individual's own life. Yeah. creating and carving something out. That's why the majority of what I've done for 12 years as a podcaster has not been raging against the machine, right? It's been empowering with knowledge. Here's how to do this thing. Here's how to build a business. Here's how to grow a garden. Here's how to do aquaponics. Here's how to homeschool your kids. Here's how to, here's how to do research. Here's how to think critically. Like, that's a skill. Like, I did, like when I started doing survival podcasts, I never would have believed, if you would have told me in my first month, you know, within a year, you're going to do a show on critical thinking. I would have been like, oh, shit. Like, and I realized like that is actually a thing. Yeah. And if we can teach people to ask the question, what do I want? That was one of my 13 steps recently in a series I did. What do I want in my life and what do I not want in my life? And then say, what are the things that I need to do to make that happen for myself? That's more powerful than any one individual group. And if you create people that do that, they will create groups because I've seen them do it. I've seen them do it left and right, and I've seen those groups fractionalized. I've seen them even fighting a little bit with each other. But then usually they kind of like go, and then one goes off over here, and one goes off over They do their own shit, and they're both happy, and they forget about each other. Like, And I think that empowering with knowledge and action, and boy, that's a huge question, though. What do you actually want? What do you want it to look like? And if we can try to in some way build it so that, if you can show an example, if we can get – I don't know, maybe instead of having a cult, right, we all, if we could pick a place, maybe it's Saipan, maybe it's some blowing away town in Arizona or something. Right? Saipan. Right? It's definitely Saipan. It's definitely Saipan, right? <laughs> and, like, just take it over in numbers and then say, well, we're, you know, for, for police, we're going to have basically a private security and we're going to do all these things. And then maybe we'll find out some of our ideas are stupid and they don't work <laughs> or they don't work at certain places. But what does work, you'll be able to say, because, like, you know, regenerative agriculture. I love it because when people say it doesn't work, you go, well, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. Yeah. Some of this stuff, we need test beds to be able to prove it works. Yeah. Yeah. I think we back do. to the kids, the, uh, the absence of public school, public school is a very disempowering place where the question, what do you want? Or kids being able to say, this is what I want. It just is non-existent. So hopefully, you know, fast forward with the kids not being in public school and more homeschooling taking place. And maybe there will be more people that just naturally ask that question throughout their lives. Yeah, we need to teach our kids to ask themselves what they want and how to get it. I think that's one of the most important things we can do. And and I just say to anybody out there listening tonight, if you've been thinking about homeschooling, it will never be a better time to do it than right now. And if you're a grandparent like I am and you're willing to step out and do this for your grandkids, have a conversation with your kids now because most of these, most of your kids are finding out that their kids are not going back to school in August. They're going to have eight weeks or whatever this virtual school crap. If they're going to be home anyway, get them out of that stuff. Get them, get them tuned into a good <clears throat> curriculum. Roll your own. Use something like Excellus that I'm using, whatever. Ron Paul's career. I don't care what anything but the demon. Like, you know, when it comes to the homeschool thing, like you want a community, start homeschooling. Right. You know what? I don't even understand how we didn't get there till now. If you start homeschooling your kids and you go out on like next door or Facebook or whatever and your local community and say, I'm homeschooling, I want help, you will find a community that will grab you and suck you in because yeah. they're so evangelical about their ideas. And I mean that is the homeschool thing, not in a religious way. Right. And man, get get into that. And then you'll find like 
hey, when you want, you know, your kid to learn shop class, there's some guy down the road that, that builds cabinets that can bring the kids in and do that and, and get it going that way. Because yeah. I, what makes me think of it is a quote by Malcolm X, right? He said one time, only a fool would let his enemy educate his children. Ooh. All right. Now, That's if really that nice. doesn't really like punch you in the gut with reality, because even if you didn't like, if you didn't think the government was your enemy in 1985, that's one thing. But today, if you don't think the government is your enemy as a person that craves freedom, I'm going to tell you, you need a freaking fluoride filter for your tap water. Because <laughs> right? that is the only explanation I have at this point. There are people who still <laughs> believe what's being written by the media. Uh, yeah, a lot crazy. of right now. Even Are you surprised? Does that surprise you, though? It no, it disappoints me. One of y'all, I think it was Xavier, was asking earlier, like, what do we need to do in order to create this culture with the general public of wanting changes or more independence or freedom? And I was saying on the last podcast, like, the general public, like Nicole pointed out, they're still buying it hook, line, and sinker, even though it's so obvious now to some of us, especially with the COVID stuff. Like Jack's just hammering on. I listened to his podcast from recently where the whole podcast, he's just destroying so easily, so easily and logically yeah. this narrative that's being put out. But at the end of the day, people are just buying it up just like they did after 9-11, but that doesn't really matter because they don't change the course of history. And at the same time, like as an anarchist, I'm for anarcho toleration, which I like to call it, where like if somebody wants to be governed and they want to have a democratic socialist state or whatever, then they can do that. Just let us do this over here. Try this over here. Right. Exactly. That, yeah. that, that's the idea of the system. Like because Black Mirror had an episode that perfectly mm -hmm. outlined Firon. And that was like you get a ratings and, and like it could go real bad. And there, and, and you can also immediately tax your constituents. You don't have to go through the IRS or collect. You just reach into their wallet, right? It's kind of like Jack kicking out uh, somebody in, the, uh, in, in one of the Facebook groups. It's like mm -hmm. you don't have to go through a process. That in the wrong hands is really bad. But if you have, if, if it's going to go that way anyway, it's like, well, let's build it and make sure that we, the good people of Earth, have that system, and they can go and do that, and we'll compete because that's what history is. Yeah. Right? Right. Competition. It seems bad. really bad if it's confined by geography the way a nation state is. Yeah. It doesn't seem so bad if it was truly a world of virtual nations where right. if I just got tired of freaking Peter because he's a dick to me and he's <clears throat> he's running Peter Town, <laughs> right? And I can say, it, Peter. I'm tired of Peter being a dick and I want to go over to Vintown and I can just move myself and my assets because yeah. it's all electronic. You know, and that's kind of, uh, sort of kind of the, the anarcho dream, right? That's kind of the anarcho dream that we can choose our own form of governance. Yep. And the commonality is simply that I don't get to take John's stuff and I don't get to hurt him. Like if, like if you ask me what I really wanted, I would like the, 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 the total governance of the world to be summed up and don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. And like anything else, like go screw yourself and figure it out for yourself. You, you don't like what's going on, Karen? Bye. Like right. that's, <laughs> but, but I like just don't the, see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> right. The, the Cathars did that. The Branch Davidians did that. There are people who have done that, and they get wiped out by the larger organism that wants to eat everybody. Yeah. So, like, it's harder to wipe it out. That's the thing. Yeah. Like the technology yeah, yeah. we have now adds – there. there is not necessarily a geographical point where you take something out. 
Yeah. Something could get taken out, but it's not going to take out the entire infrastructure if you're organized. For it has to, yeah, it has to be holographic, right? Like, and, and decentralized enough, but have a central control mechanism that if it breaks, that each, each little, 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 like pod has its own functional system. You got something down there, Peter? I think Peter, you're muted. muted. You're on muted. muted. You're muted. He's on mute mode. All right, I'm here. <laughs> I have I have a friend, his name is Pierre Beeland, and he's actually a a doctor, a professor at uh, Oklahoma State University. And there is actually an agorist hardcore who is in the system. And I was writing an article today and I sent it to him and I said, what do you think of this? And he said, maybe you should mention this. And I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to quote you. And what he quoted was, Agorism in action creates its own institutions and builds the institutions of a free society within the shell of the old. When people start offering services, they create markets and prices. When they have conflicts, they find means to arbitration and protection. That's what's so beautiful with counter-economics. By withdrawing your support, stop feeding the beast, and start acting economically in freedom – you bring about the market institutions we will need and must rely on when the state fails. And it sounds like what we believe is that the state is going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Spot on. Well, I think um, we should probably wrap up here. I know we could go on for another hour or so. Does anyone have any, anything they want to throw out before we, we shut her down? I think that's a good spot to on that quote because it was so poignant and, punchy and some of the stuff that we covered in the program too. I hope the listeners are feeling inspired and empowered. And of course uh, we're a participatory community. So you can email us if you have any questions or show topics and uh, look out soon. We're going to have a Facebook group and then telegram groups as well that you guys can participate on. We can build community. Anybody have any parting words? I'd just like to say the website again, unloose the That's where, as these pieces are built out, you can, it'll be the hub to find, social connections and to sign up for the e-bulletin and that sort of thing. Go ahead, Jack. Sorry. I say since we're a weekly show, guys, make sure you fill out the little email form and and stay in touch with us because we'll probably come up with some ideas during the week and maybe we'll even be able to have some things that can make future episodes a little more interactive if you uh, are on the list and know what's coming. Oh, that would be cool. We could have uh, guests and, and have a dis- group discussion. I wanted to say that I am very thankful to be here. This has been a very uh, enlightening and empowering conversation for me personally. So it's really cool to be a part of this. Cool. Right on. All right. Well, this has been Unloose the Goose, our third podcast. And we want to thank you for tuning in. And remember to go to unloosethegoose.com, sign up for the e-newsletter so we can stay in touch. And we hope that you will continue to live free and check us out next week. Peace. Unloose the goose. We'll take no.